0: The concept of retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious experiences. And as a certified financial planner and CPA here in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset using my three-bucket approach to managing money and to find creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join me as we change the way we think about money and time and which one of these is the true currency. All right, hello, and welcome to Retire While You Work. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining. I wanted to chat today um, about a topic in my most recent book. It's called The Currency of Time, and it's available on Amazon uh, or on my website. You can get to it, davidadamswealthgroup.com. But the topic is, should I invest online myself or use a financial advisor? Um, you know, people often ask, how should I invest? Should I do it online to save on fees or should I hire a financial planner? And in most cases, especially when there may be substantial assets involved, you know, I'll say financial advisors are the best option because as you'll see in this, in this podcast, um, or you'll hear in this podcast, we get to know you, we get to know your concerns, your needs, your dreams. And we really can provide personalized advice that takes those important factors into account. So for beginning investors, things like robo-advisors, which are apps and software programs you can access online, are sometimes the best option. Um, You know, this isn't a shameless plug, but I have been blessed to have a group of loyal clients who've been through the ups and downs of the market and who really understand our value as financial advisors. And here's what I've learned. Everything has a cost and fees are only an issue in the absence of value. And that's not just true in my line of work, but in many or most lines of work. Now, sure, you can do your own financial planning for free, um, but do you want the burden or the stress? As humans, we're not wired to operate alone. You know, we're made to collaborate with others and to share accountability. And this is true in all aspects of life, in my opinion. I've learned this lesson from several mentors and coaches that I've had throughout the years. And as in any profession, some financial advisors add value tenfold, And others can be a total ripoff. So as an example, let's pick on attorneys. If you've had to deal with a complicated legal situation, having an attorney who cares and bills you fairly, listens to you and helps you get your desired compensation is really worth every penny. Even if their fee is, let's say, 500 bucks an hour. You know, if you try to save money by hiring an attorney whose fee is, 200 an hour, let's say, but he or she bills you for twice as many hours, forgets the details of your case, and ends up getting you a lackluster result, you haven't really saved money at all. Makes sense. Now, sure, on the front end, it might seem like you saved a couple hundred bucks an hour, but on the back end, you end up netting more loss than you can probably calculate. And that's hard for so many of us to see initially because we're focused on the cost rather than the value. And I can attest to this. When I was faced with a legal situation I did hire an attorney who charged a very high hourly rate, um, but he earned all of his money in the beginning by pursuing the right path in our lawsuit against a former employer. And each month I opened his bill, I felt like throwing up because he cost so much, but we were thrilled with the end result. Um, I learned a lot through the process where it makes sense to Um, About where it makes sense to cut corners and where it doesn't like attorneys financial planners and good doctors are not people to hunt bargains on heart surgery might cost a hundred grand But I don't ever see anybody trying to find the cheapest heart surgeon. This is the definition literally of being penny wise and pound foolish Now a little confession of mine I'll humble myself by telling you a story about how I tried to save money buying a house and it was a monumental disaster I tried to buy a house without a real estate agent, and oh boy, shame on me. I know several friends and clients who do real estate for a living, and did I consult with them? No. So to save on the 6% commission, I went the do-it-yourself route, even though I'd never done that before, and for all my previous properties, I'd always worked with agent, agents, so I did not know better. And this this was just a property that I fell in love with, and the location was perfect, the home was unique; had a unique architectural design. I didn't want it to get sold out from under me, so I bought it on the spot without an inspection. Now, since then, I've had to pay for that mistake tenfold. I could have funded the Taj Mahal for the amount I spent on getting this place ready for resale. The HVAC had issues I'm still working on. The sewer pump was defective. The latches on these very expensive German windows were broken. The home came with beautiful high-end appliances, but even they had issues, such as a broken ice maker in the freezer and burning coils on the oven. Uh, Even some of the wiring on the lighting was bad. so I had to call an electrician. So put simply, the investment was a money pit. Also, because I didn't have an agent representing me, I ended up paying for things that a seller typically pays for. So as a buyer, the contract wasn't worded in my favor. I played into my emotions. I overpaid for the property. And had I worked with an agent who had um, been able to help me think logically the way we try to do for our clients, I could have, stayed, or I could, have could have probably paid $100,000 less than I did. Now, as long as I'm making fun of myself, and I'm fine doing that, let me tell you another true relevant story. One time at a different property, instead of hiring a handyman, I decided to change a faulty kitchen light on my own, turned off the breaker, went to work, poked around in the ceiling. While I was up there, I felt a sudden zing course through my body. I had shocked myself. It turns out I'd turned off the wrong breaker, and that's not it. When I got shocked, I jerked throwing my screwdriver through the drywall on the other side of the kitchen. And at the end, not only did I have to hire an electrician, I had to hire somebody to fix the drywall and paint. So if I'd simply paid somebody 200 bucks at the beginning, I probably would have saved myself. I know I would have saved myself a lot of headache and money. True story. Now, do you really want to work with me as a financial advisor now that I showed you all of my mistakes? Well, that mistake helped me learn another valuable lesson to hire somebody for everything that's not your personal strong suit. And this holds true at our firm too. I no longer pay the bills or keep the accounting books, even though I'm a CPA. It was hard for me to let go of that control, but now I have a CFO who, whom I trust to do all of that for me, thanks to the lessons that I have learned. Um, you know, let's talk about mistakes and how they can turn out to be your biggest learning opportunities. Maybe you've heard the ancient story about the cobbler whose children had no shoes, or about the doctor whose kids were sick. My situation is similar. I can be the best financial advisors for other clients and help them distance their emotions from important financial decisions. But when it comes to making my own decisions, it's not that easy. That's now why I consult with another group of financial planners whenever I'm getting ready to make a major personal decision. And they do the same with me. We keep each other in check because we realize that emotions are, again, money killers. And even professionals get caught up in them. So I understand how my clients feel. And my job is to make sure you don't make bad decisions based on emotions. So getting back to my examples, would I have preferred to avoid those ridiculous decisions? Absolutely. But I'm turning them into positive learning experiences and I'm very thankful that I had my three buckets so these mistakes didn't disrupt my financial plan. Buckets one and two saved me. And if you read the rest of my book or your client, you know what my three buckets are. And I was able to pay for the repairs and I was able to take some funds out of bucket two if I end up losing money on the house. And I'm still right on track. Now, talking, you know, if, as long as we're talking about the value of a financial advisor, let's talk about how trying to time the, time the market is a losing game. So one of the biggest and most costly mistakes investors make is pulling their money out of the stock market when there's a downturn. Let's think here recently in 2020 to COVID-19, right? This is an emotional knee-jerk reaction. One of the most valuable services that we offer clients is to be the voice of reason during times like that. And studies show that most people who yank their money out of the stock market at the worst of times end up buying back when the market is soaring high. Alternatively, they would have been better off financially and blood pressure-wise Um, If they had just stayed put and avoided these rash decisions, you have better odds in Vegas than you do attempting to read the mind of the stock market. Trying to time the market is a losing game. The odds are immensely against you. During the 2008 crisis, we only had two clients pull their money out against our advice, and they're still today not back in the market the way they should be. They put all of their money in the bank, making as low as 1% off of their money. Not only that, they've grown to resent the stock market so much that they can't even justify emotionally getting back and today with what they believe are high prices. It's become a terrible mind game for them and a mental block, if you will. And uh, I think it was August of 2011, Fidelity Investments, they studied the way 401k plan participants handled their accounts during 2008 and 9 during the market crisis. And here's what they found, that plan participants who dropped their equity allocation to zero, meaning they got out of the market between October of 08 and March of 2009, um, and kept it there, experienced an average 2% increase in their 401k balances through June 30th of 2011. But investors who changed their equity equity allocation to zero but returned to some level of equity investment after the downturn showed an average increase of 25% in their account balances. But the clear winners here were the investors who maintained their allocations to stocks the whole time during that period. And by the middle of 2011, their account balance had increased by an average of 50%. And the 401k participants who continue contributing, not just keeping their money in, during the downturn actually saw increases of around 64% in this study compared to an average increase of 26% for investors who stopped contributing completely. Huge differences here. This is one of the many reasons that we all need professional help. Playing the emotional roller coaster of the stock market is a losing proposition, period. All right, now when there's a market storm, I would just say hunker down in your proverbial storm seller, write it out, don't make sudden moves, learn from the many who have panicked and reacted on emotion and lost fortunes. Don't play the game, build your buckets, know their places in your plan, and let those buckets do their jobs and hire professional help. So as far as the value of an advisor, about 10 years ago, I remember attending a workshop by a well-known advisor named Nick Murray, He wrote a book called simple wealth, inevitable wealth, in which he talks about the value of an advisor and something he said in it has stuck with me through the years. Say you pay an advisor 1% a year for maybe 10 years while the market is going up. At some point you start thinking, gosh, I could have saved 10% over the past 10 years because everything's been going up. Why do I need to pay David or this other advisor for advice? And the simple answer is this, a good advisor earns when times get bad. Um, What I mean is it's easy to make money when the economy um, and the market are booming. It's a million times harder to navigate the turbulence and stay in the game during the chaos. Let's look at an example. Say you really can earn the same year-over-year return as your advisor, and you feel like this is your gift and your passion and you enjoy spending time handling your investments. That's great. More power to you. But there are many people out there who would arguably get the same performance on a portfolio as... Um, advisors like me, okay, there there are. But then let's say that another 2008 like year happens, and you get worried because the market's falling 10, 20, 30 percent. Fear gets a hold of you, and you end up cashing out while you're down 30 or 40 percent, convinced that the media is right and that the market's going to fall 50, 60, or 70 percent. And we just saw that again with COVID-19. Those fears. You just want to stop the bleeding. The losses you incur by pulling out of the market will be so much worse than if you had weathered the storm. Trust me on this. I've had so many clients who, without us behind them, would have yanked their money out when the market was at bottom. But let's say you guessed right. You pull out. The market keeps falling a bit further. Then it starts to bounce back. But every time it seems like it's rebounding, it drops again. Soon you get busy at work. You tell yourself that once it stabilizes, you are going to get back in and try to time it right. But the next thing you know, it's jumped above where you cashed out, and it's still bouncing around that you can't keep up, and you end up buying back in. Please don't do this. Early in my career, I was trained that our value as advisors was picking the right investments and focusing on returns, returns, returns. It's all about returns. When I was in my mid-20s, I asked some of the top advisors in the U.S. if they would mentor me, and I became a sponge, soaking in everything I learned. And as I worked with those or these top five to 10 experts, I asked each one of them some of the basic questions, such as what would you say your real value to your clients has been over the past 40 years? And what do you charge? And do your clients feel that your cost is fair? And the answers I got from each of them, again, these were top advisors at the peaks of their career, were identical. They almost unanimously said that the real value of an advisor lies in their ability to help clients build a financial plan and make progress towards long-term goals, stay accountable to that plan, and keep emotions isolated from decision-making. Every one of them said their clients rarely questioned their fees other than at the beginning or during the first down market when they'd ask, am I really paying you a fee while I'm losing money? But once they got to the other side of the bear market, they understood and they never questioned the advisors again. And I've now been in the business long enough that I can confirm similar experiences with my clients who faced the down markets of 2001 and 2008. So regarding my question about what the advisors charged, I was told that's the wrong question. The right question is what value do we provide? And we wonder why the financial advisor gets picked on for a lack of transparency. Major eye roll. I'm rolling my eyes. I know that that's uh, that's an answer that gets people scratching their heads. So speaking of financial advisor fees, what's the average fee a financial advisor charge? It varies, of course. I've seen highs, fees as high as 2% of the investor's total assets. I think that's too high for investors with millions of dollars, but it's arguably reasonable for smaller accounts, under 250000 but still high. The typical industry average is around 1.5% on, account, on accounts that are less than $500,000 or a million. Some advisors may charge one and a quarter percent and an average of about 1% for accounts that are between maybe a million and three million or two million. And then you might see fees below 1% and negotiable fees for accounts um, that get above the $5 million range. But basically 1% is a good rule of thumb. The fee will be a little more if you have less than a million and a little less as the numbers get bigger. So the best advice I can give you is to find an advisor who coaches you, who doesn't talk over your head, who listens to you, who has the heart of a teacher and has the right credentials. Now I'm a little biased here because I am a certified financial planner a CFP professional, if you will, and a certified public accountant, a CPA. But I do strongly feel that both designations are needed and desirable for an advisor to understand the complex tax side of the business, as well as the financial side. People who have earned that CFP designation have been trained rigorously in six different areas, estate planning, tax planning, investments ethics, insurance planning, and retirement planning. So I recommend working with an advisor who has that certification. Also, when you're looking for an advisor, be wary of those trying to sell you products. Professional financial planners are fee-based. They're there to help you build a financial plan. The product should just be a means to an end, which is why products should be the last thing they discuss with you. Probably around the third meeting or so, to be honest. A financial advisor should not lead with their products. Otherwise, they're just glorified salespeople representing a firm and selling a product of the week to get a bigger commission or win an incentive trip. So look for a fee-based advisor who charges a percentage of your assets with no contract, no upfront commissions, no back-end commissions, no surrender penalties for taking your money out. Your advisor should put you on the same side of the table that they're on. Everybody has a common goal and that's to grow your money over time. If the market's up and your accounts are growing, the fees are a little bit higher. During bad times like 08 or early 2020, Like we've seen, where the market is falling, financial advisors bust their tails to lose less than the market because their income goes down every bit as much as yours. They feel the pinch just like you do. Now, lastly, what about these robo-advisors that have emerged? Today, we hear a lot of talk about robo-advisors. These are software apps or computer programs that run algorithms to determine what your best potential investments might be. So for a while, we were seeing announcements for a lot of seminars that were advertised with headlines like, um, is this the the death of a financial advisor? So you can hire robo-advisors, let's say for half a percent or even a quarter of of a percent of your assets. So the fees are low, but you get no personalized service. You don't get the benefit of a trusted advisor, a real person advising you to rethink a big move that you're making based off emotions. I was on a panel at a national conference with 5,000 advisors and someone said, David, are you nervous about robo-advisors taking over your business and clients? My response, no, I'm not. Here's why. Then I went on to explain that as humans, we're wired for connection. We need a team. We need face-to-face connection. We need people to hold our hands through the good times and the bad. A computer can't do it at least not yet. That's a little scary to think of. Also, our clients have been with us for a while. They value our advice, they recognize the worth in having someone they call that they can call and trust and talk to, shake hands with, hug, laugh with. I believe in an abundance mentality versus scarcity, and there are many people out there who need sound financial advice, and realistically, we can work with only so many clients. So we'll choose those that dev- that value and desire human advice and those that feel like they don't need that, they can do fine with the computer, then that's great. We, uh, we let them choose that option. So I'm not worried about robo-advisors. In fact, I think they're a good option for people who are just getting started and don't meet the minimum assets required by a good, uh, that a re- a good, fi- a good fee-based financial planner requires. I think it's better for them to use something like a robo-advisor, which is inexpensive, than for them to go to a financial advisor who's going to sell them a bunch of products they don't need just to make a fat commission. I see it happen all the time. People come to us once they meet our minimum and they're in all the wrong products, and it's hard to unravel that. And if they approach us before they meet the minimum, I try to do them a service by saying, it doesn't make sense for you to pay our fee yet, so I'd rather you do something online. And I'll help them get started. And when they meet our minimum, we happily transition them over as new clients. And when we accept new clients, we don't just look at their assets. We know that not all of our clients are going to be older people who have 10 million bucks. In fact, we wanna work with younger clients as well, who are ambitious and also with people who don't have tons of money. So we consider other factors such as compatibility and coachability. Do we like this client? Is this somebody we want in our family for the next 20, 30 years? Is this somebody we feel really wants advice and is going to listen to us, follow the plan and stick with it? Or are they just kicking the tires and looking for someone to validate them? All right. So if you met or know of good financial advisors you want to work with long term, but you don't meet their minimums, you can consider other reputable sources and resources that have inexpensive platforms and allow you to gain a a sturdy footing in the market. But a good financial planner who is fee-based should point you in that direction, maybe even give you some free input to help get you started with the heart of a teacher. And a few years down the road, when it makes economic sense, you can return to your desired advisor. So, I hope that helps in regards to fees and planners um, and kind of what I've seen over the years. Obviously, this is what I do, and fees can be a difficult subject, but they shouldn't be. It's just about uh, um, transparency like anything else. So, that's this, uh, this edition of Retire While You Work. And thank you for listening as always. And you can listen to some of our previous episodes or pick up my book, The Currency of Time, or visit us if you're interested in exploring being a client at David Adams Wealth Group. Com. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today to Retire While You Work. I'm David Adams and hope you'll continue to listen as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. And now some friendly disclaimers to make my compliance department at Raymond James happy. Here we go. Any opinions are those of myself, David Adams, and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities markets or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique, and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. (sighs) There you go.